Lord, I pray that now as we enter upon this time, that you would help us as we open your word, that we would come up under your word. Lord, that you would help us mightily uh, during this time, not according to uh, man's effort, but according to your grace. Would you in your kindness help us, Lord, open our eyes. Or if there be those here who are uh, unconverted, Lord, that you're, through you through your grace would open their eyes and grant conversion. Lord, if there be those here who are under the impression that they are just fine and, and feel that they are converted, but perhaps are not, Lord, that you would also work mightily there and that you would work among your people, that you would build your church up in our most holy faith. Father, we do pray for the needs of our church family. And this morning in particular, although we certainly think of the Owens and the Edwards as far as Andy's father, and we continue to think of the Kimes and Olivia, Lord, this morning we pray, particularly in light of what we've just heard from our brother Steve on behalf of his family. Lord, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister, Stephanie. I pray for Luke and Lydia. Lord, as Steve has shared with us that he will, no doubt, be away a good bit. Lord, uphold them. Lord, you've provided for them, uh, I believe, excitement about their new living quarters, about their house, that you've paved the way for this house in Florida. Lord, would you also pave the way quickly uh, for a church family? Lord, as Steve continues to labor a little bit longer here at Seymour on base, and then as he will be laboring in the church services there, also, Lord, give them that family and help us to be that family as well from a distance. Lord, none of us uh, should presume, Lord, upon you. Lord, we walk by faith each and every day, so Lord, help them in their ongoing journey. Help us this morning, Lord. Many of us here this morning, by a miracle of your grace, we can say we are saved, that we are born again. But Lord, help us to continue to walk in faith and repentance with joy. Help us to continue to walk in your grace. May this be a part of that, Lord. Would you do your work? It is certainly not my work. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, my burden this morning is to mainly and primarily continue our sermon series uh, through the book of Romans. Of course, it is Mother's Day, and I do have this morning uh, two key verses that you should never forget, two key truths on this Mother's Day 2021 that you should always remember. But even as I say Mother's Day, this is primarily Uh, another sermon, and may God help us in the book of Romans. I want to focus, as I've already said, I want to focus on two key verses. So the one of those verses is Romans 5, and that's where we're going to end. But let's begin reading. Now we just enjoy the reading of God's word. Let's begin reading at our other key verse, which is Romans 3.26. So we'll read from Romans 3.26 to Romans 4.5. It was to show his righteousness 
at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has. Well, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, Romans 3.29 says, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Keep going, just keep going here, Romans 4.1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one, now notice this, Romans 4, 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Two great truths this morning, Mother's Day 2021. Two great truths, really, it's, it's two great verses. The first great, well, actually the second truth, which we'll start to look at briefly and then come back to is found there in Romans 4, 5, and it is this. It's not earth shattering in one sense. First great truth is believe and do not work. Believe and do not work. Now, mothers work hard. But at least the compensation in terms of money helps to offset some of that thankless hard work. Mothers make lots of money by being mothers. Congress is working on giving mothers $15 an hour for their labors. And although these things are not true, we might wish them to be true, everything maybe except for the Congress part. We might wish for some of these things to be true, but of course they're not. Of course, it's silly on the face of it. Nevertheless, my message for you this morning, mothers, and again, the message, as I say to mothers, not only to you, but to everyone, is this. In the most important issue of life, in the most important matter of life, you are called to not work, but to trust in him to trust in the one who, as the scripture says, justifies the ungodly. In the most important matter of life, uh, knowing that, to take just one obvious example today, motherhood is, is hard work. It deserves a wage. 
being a homemaker is, is not easy. It's a, hard, it's a hard job. But for all of us, knowing also that, that mothers are also sinners like the rest of us, therefore the thing that all of us need is to figure out how can we be right with God? Romans 4, 5, and this beautiful language, Romans 4, 5 says, again, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. At the center of that verse is the word believes in or trusts. Believe. And in this case, in this case, do not work. Now, these are two verses this morning that really you want to, I'm not saying you have to commit them to memory, but you don't ever want to forget these two verses. Romans 4, 5, as, as we're going to see, is, is famous for good reason. And what I want to do right now is I want to show you how Romans 4, 5 is anchored in the foundation of Romans 3, 26. Two key verses, Romans 4, 5 and Romans 3, 26. And notice, I want us to spend a little bit of time here back in 3, 26. I want us to see how this is the foundation. Let's begin in the middle of the verse. It says, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so this key truth here, I'm just taking that phrase as the key truth, and the, and the phrase is just and justifier. Just and never forget this. You say, well, I don't know what it means. We're going to talk about that. Never forget this, just and justifier. God is both righteous and he declares sinners righteous. He saves and he maintains his, his, his integrity, his attributes, all the while that he's doing so. Never forget this. Never forget Romans 3.26. Go back to the beginning of it. It says there, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That last part of verse 26, uh, if, as you'll notice there, really is the key because it all has to do with Jesus Christ, the one who has faith. Everybody talks about faith today. And we might say here at Crossway, there's one sense in which we don't give a hill of beans if you're a person of faith. Everybody wants to talk about being a person of faith, but what is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? It doesn't matter if you're a person of faith. As we've talked about before, you can think about, as it's been described before, you can think about a great chasm. You may know what I'm getting ready to say, and you can think about two different bridges bridging that great chasm. One of the bridges is faulty. And the other bridge that goes across the great chasm is sturdy. If you have strong faith, I'm a person of faith. And I step out confidently on the faulty bridge. Your strong faith, as it has been said, will not keep you from plunging to your death. And if you have weak faith, 
through the grace of God, but nevertheless, you have faith. Even if it's weak and you step on the sturdy bridge, it will hold you all the way over. Because the issue, as I'll say again, is not whether you are a person of faith, regardless of what Oprah or Osteen or whoever, whatever, not just whoever, whatever they would say, who is the object of your faith? What is your bridge? And so it says here, through the one who has faith in Jesus. Don't ever forget Romans 4, 5, but I say that it is anchored in the foundation of Romans 3, 26. You do not yet understand the gospel. And I'm not putting that on you like you're just terrible. We do not yet understand the gospel. You say, what are you saying? Are you saying that, John, that you believe most people in this room are unconverted? That's not what I'm saying. I believe I'm speaking to many of my brothers and sisters but the gospel is at one time like the shallow pool that a child can believe in and it is deep and we do not yet, we have not yet plumbed the depths of the gospel. And if you do not understand Romans 3.26, then your view of the gospel will be forever truncated. You must understand, as you could title this sermon this morning, you must understand the God who justifies. You see, we've said it so many times, and we will say it again. Salvation is not about us. We are the glad beneficiaries. We receive it, and God loves us, his people, absolutely. But salvation is about the God who justifies. Never forget this simple and profound phrase, just and justifier just and justifier. Now, the first way that you see what that phrase means, that God is both just and justifier, is you just simply, first of all, take it apart. And you say, well, you could say that God is the one who saves. He's the one who justifies people. He declares sinners to be righteous, those sinners who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. God declares them to be righteous. But as soon as we say that, we also have to say that this verse teaches us that, first of all, God is just. Now, get the picture. This passage says, kind of like what Acts chapter 17 says, that God, for, for a long time, was overlooking sin. It says here, particularly in verse 25, it says, it talks about his divine forbearance, that God was passing over sin. In other words, what, what we see here is that for, if we may say, for ages and ages, for all of Old Testament history, God was passing over sin. You see, the sin of his people, the people that he says, this, this woman is mine. This man is mine. We're talking about Abraham and David and Moses. God was saying, listen, he was saying, I accept you, David. I accept you, Abraham, as one of my people. I accept you, Moses. And these people were clearly shot through with sin. And yet God accepted them. You may say, well, you know, I know my Bible, and, and in the Old Testament, if you're talking about Old Testament times, well, 
the reason that God accepted them was because of the sacrificial system. And because didn't God himself, didn't God himself prescribe this, this system whereby the, the blood of animals, the sacrifice of animals, bulls and goats would, uh, would atone for their sin? And yes, he did. But the point of Hebrews is that they had to do this over and over and over again. Every single year. And so there was something, uh, there was something built in that was imperfect about this system. The blood of bulls and goats cannot ultimately atone for sin. Now we have to think about this. We have to feel this. We may think about it in terms we just wrapped up our, our soccer season. You can think about it in simple terms of, of injustice on multiple levels. I feel injustice when the referee makes a call that doesn't go for my son's team. And you can think about injustice on all kinds of different levels. Hesitant to even bring this up because I'm not trying to make a point. You can think about injustice on the levels of uh, rigged elections. Not, not making any point there. But, you, you know, you feel there's an election in some part of the world. That, you know, it's, it, it, that's, that's injustice. You can, you can talk about injustice as you see what I'm doing on all kinds of levels. The soccer field, the, the, the ballot box. You can talk about injustice when a judge, as, as often sometimes does happen. You can think about injustice in the most personal level. If a member of your intimate family is, is sinned against in a way that you don't even want to speak about. And the person, where is justice? And all of this is a faint picture to God because the Old Testament itself, the Old Testament itself teaches us that for a judge to declare the unrighteous to be righteous is what, do you know? It's an abomination. And so none of us think this way. And that's okay because God's revealed this to us. He wants us to begin thinking this way. You have, we have never thought about this much. How does God keep God from being an abomination? How is God not an abomination to himself? If the Bible itself multiple times in the Old Testament says one of the worst things that you can do is to justify the ungodly. In other words, one of the worst things you can do is to bring someone in the courtroom who is clearly guilty and say, yeah, you're guilty, but the sentence, you know, I'm not going to give you a harsh sentence. Justice must be paid. Sin must be paid for. Sinners, not just sin must be paid for, sinners must be punished. How does God, according to the word of God, how is he not an abomination? Look at the middle of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. I've already mentioned that in Acts chapter 17, Paul, who wrote Romans, Paul's also speaking in Acts 17, same, same guy. And he's speaking there and he says, you know, in times past, God, God overlooked the times of ignorance. That's not right. 
God knew what he was doing. Of course he did. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness. Now, do you see that? Do you see verse 26? It was to show his righteousness. Paul really wants to get this across because he just said in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. Through the cross of Jesus, through Jesus dying on the cross, not only does God declare sinners righteous, two Ds here, through the cross, God declares sinners righteous and he demonstrates his own righteousness. He declares and demonstrates. The cross is about the love of God for us. It is about the love of God for you. Run to Jesus. There is no better Savior. There is no other Savior. Run to Jesus today. The cross screams God's love for the world, for everyone who will repent and believe. But the cross, in one sense, first and foremost, is a vindication of the righteousness of God. Because God, for all of this time, had been passing over sin, passing over sin. And yet God knew at the appointed time, because you see in 25 it says, to show God's righteousness, and then he repeats the same thing in 26, but he adds something else, doesn't he? It was to show his righteousness, what? At the present time. At the present time. And you draw a line back to the very first two, three little words of, three-letter words of 21, but now. You see, God put his son Jesus on the cross. This passage makes it plain. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Without going into it more, you need to connect 325 and 118. You need to connect 325 and 118, and I'll just say this quickly. 118 says that the wrath of God is revealed even now against all ungodliness. And 325 says the wrath of God is revealed publicly. This is important. Publicly, publicly, the world will see that God is righteous. God doesn't blink at sin. Sin must be punished. Either you, listen to me, either you will bear your own sin for all of eternity in hell or your sin will be borne by the sin bearer. There's really only two options. Either you bear it for eternity or Christ bear it. And at the cross, God is propitiating himself. This gospel is all about what God has done. At the cross, God sends his son Jesus and he propitiates his own wrath. 118 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven at our foolish sinfulness. And 325 says, the wrath of God comes down on the head of the Son of God so that God's wrath is appeased for everyone who will ever believe. God appeases his own wrath. And that's why, that's precisely why, that's precisely why it's not by works. It is not by works because the whole thing is grace. And it's grace that we can't even fathom. And like Peter said about Paul, there's many things that we don't understand. Man, he's, it is deep waters. Verse 26 has been called a very appropriate summary of the greatest paragraph in the Bible, which is 21 through 26. Verse 26 summarizes it. Here's what one man says. Christ's sacrificial death enables God to, number one, justify sinful people, number two, while he remains just. God is saying in the cross of Christ, I am publicly putting forth my son to show you 
that sin must be punished. He is our propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You know, so far I've given you two great truths, which are really two great verses, 4, 5, and 326. The truth of 4, 5 is believe and do not work. The truth of 326 is just and justifier. These are actually one thing. Like a funnel, we've looked at two verses, two truths, but the funnel goes down and it's one thing. What is the one thing? What's justification? It's justification that God declares sinners righteous through Jesus Christ. Now, this is not always the easiest thing. Let me give you a few pictures. Let me give you a few pictures of justification this morning. First of all, from, from Charles Leiter. Listen to what he says. Think about this. Suppose a Christian husband gets up in the morning, has an argument with his wife, and knows that he has been unkind to her. Christian man, he's a Christian. Argument with his wife, knows that he's been unkind to her. Instead of confessing his sin, he goes off to work in a huff. All morning he is miserable. Finally unable to stand it any longer, he bows his head and asks God forgiveness, then calls his wife and asks her forgiveness. Suppose this man had died before confessing his sin. Would he have gone to hell? The answer, according to God's salvation and according to the truth of justification by faith, is most certainly not. After all, why was he miserable all morning if not for the fact that he remained a child of God with a renewed heart throughout the time of his rebellion? To say this is just to say that the true Christian remains in a justified state at all times. Because when in the courtroom of God, when he declares someone righteous, it's not for that person's sake. It's for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. And when God declares a person righteous, he's right in doing so because that person died with Jesus on the cross. That person was punished on the cross in Jesus Christ, in the son of God. This person has a whole new standing with God. Listen to what he says. Listen, the Christian is no longer a criminal under the wrath of God. He is a son under the care of a loving father. Justification is permanent. What's another picture? Well, I won't go into this. We spent pretty much the entire sermon last week in 2 Samuel 9 looking at a picture of salvation, of Mephibosheth, and a picture of, in one sense, justification. What is that picture in 2 Samuel 9? It's that the king shows kindness, steadfast love, lavish kindness to someone who does not deserve it, all for the sake of another. For the sake of another, the king shows kindness and steadfast love to those who are undeserving. I'd love for you to go here with me for just a moment to the book of Philemon. It's between Titus and Hebrews.
Philemon is between Titus and Hebrews. Paul is writing to this man, Philemon, who he led to Christ. And Philemon, you may know, had a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul is pleading with Philemon to take Onesimus back. And what does he say? Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of, of your owing me, even your own self. The phrase that I want to highlight is when Paul says, charge it to my account. You've got a slave, my friend. You've got a slave who ran away from you. He's become a Christian. Now you should receive him back. And if he stole from you, if he took anything from you, you charge it to my account. Was Paul the actual debtor? Was Paul? The, no, Paul was not the debtor, but Paul said, charge it to my account. And the way that this, that, that this thing works, if I could say it that way, the way that this works, that God is both just and the justifier, that Romans 4, 5, that he justifies the ungodly, even when the Old Testament says that's an abomination. The way that this works is Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a beautiful word called imputation. It's that just like Paul says, charge it to my account. Our sins are reckoned to Christ. Our sins are charged to the account of Christ. And not only are they reckoned to Christ or counted to Christ, but Christ pays for our sins on the cross. He pays for those sins, redemption, propitiation. And you see this word over and over again, counted, reckoned. You say, oh, this is Paul. I just don't know what that means. No, we've got to wrestle with that. Romans 4, 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Our sins are counted to the Lord Jesus who dies on the cross and pays our penalty, his righteousness is counted to us through faith. It's the great exchange. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. God is the one who saves, but the cross of Jesus shows that he is just. Remember this morning, remember faith, Romans 4, 5 doesn't teach laziness. Romans 4, 5 comes after Romans 4, 4, and it says if you set it up like you do a regular employer-employee relationship, if you work for God, then God gives you your wages. By the way, that will never work. And there on the heels of Romans 4, 4, Romans 4, 5 says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith will be counted as righteousness. His faith will be counted. Whose faith? Whose faith? To the one who does not work, but trusts. The scripture teaches us that work is a good gift from God. Work is not a resort of the fall. Work is not a resort of the curse. We're made to work. In this instance, we are not called to work. The gospel says do not work. And the gospel is the same for Christians every day. It's, it's continue to walk by faith in the grace of God. Mothers, Go to him. Go to him. As I think about these two poles, 4, 5, and 326 this morning, and I think about the beautiful words of 4, 5, I cannot help but think about Jesus' words that we often bring up 
at the end of Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. Go later today, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Own that. I cannot help but thinking about that. And I say to all of us, and on Mother's Day, maybe in particular, but again to all of us, mothers, go to him. Go to him, keeping in mind Romans 4, 5, and keeping in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. Go to the Lord Jesus. Let him be your righteousness. Let him be your stay. Let me see if I can share with you one final quote as we close. B.B. Warfield says this. By the way, the mother of my children, she was 22 years old, was circling some books in a Christian book distributor catalog that her parents could get her for Christmas, and the black marker bled through, and so she unexpectedly receives a 10-volume set of B.B. Warfield <laughs> when she was probably circling Oprah and Osteen books, you know, on the other page. But Warfield says this, listen, we all enter the kingdom of heaven as little children who do not do but are done for. And I'm going to say that again, and then we'll close. But let me just say, if anybody knows what it is to care for those who cannot care for themselves or either who don't care for themselves, but they actually could, <laughs> that would be mother's. But he says, we all enter the kingdom of heaven as little children who do not do, but are done for. Rest in Christ, the finished work of Christ, the righteousness of God. Let us pray together. Lord, help us to worship you during this time in the same way that we might think about raising our hands or singing with all of our strength with our voices. Oh God, how we praise you. This, if we, if we begin to understand this, this, this causes us to stop and to, and to marvel. And not just in a Christian way, but in a real way. So Lord, would you help us even a little bit, help us a lot Lord, help us to see how great you are, how puny we are. Help us to see your great love for us through Jesus Christ. Help us to see the cross as a declaration and as your demonstration. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.